Welcome to Truth for Transformation with Timothy Brown. Timothy is the lead pastor of Arden First Baptist Church in Arden, North Carolina. Our mission is to lead ordinary people into extraordinary life in Christ. We pray that today's message inspires you to live an extraordinary life in Jesus Christ. Check out our website for more inspiring resources, ardenfbc.com. Now, here's today's message from Pastor Timothy Brown. Well, happy Mother's Day to everyone, to all of our moms. And as Joe mentioned, we've got some spiritual moms. Those who may not have biological children, but you are spiritual moms. And I do know this is a hard day for some of you, and uh, maybe your mom is not here. And I just want to say a blessing upon every mother and those who are missing their moms today. I want to say a prayer of peace for you. So let's pray. Father, I just want to lift up, first of all, those for whom Mother's Day is really challenging. Their mom's not here. Maybe, as Joe mentioned, they haven't been able to have children, and it's just, it's just a tough day for them. I pray that your grace would cover them. And Father, for all of our moms' presence and grandmoms, that you would bless them, and this would be a special time for them, that they would feel celebrated and loved by all, that their children would rise up and call them blessed. So Lord, we commit this service to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, again, welcome to everyone, and welcome to those watching online. We are in Acts 21. For those of you who are just joining us, we go verse by verse through books of the Bible, and our goal in that is to teach the full counsel of God, so we welcome you to our service today. Uh, as you turn to Acts 21, just want to ask you guys a question. How many of you have ever asked this question, what is God's will for my life? Anybody ever asked that? How many of you are still asking that? Uh, I talked to Lori about that this, this weekend, and she said, when I first became a Christian, it was really challenging to find out what God's will was. Like, she was listening to sermons and and I think Lori set the record. I didn't tell I was going to tell her that, say this, but she listened to eight sermons in one day. I believe it did. That's the, anybody beat that record? I, I've never done that. So, but she was she was consuming, you know, just sermons and scripture and just in in, a, in, a, in an effort to find what God's will was. But she said after I, I grew in grace and became more mature in my faith, then the will of God wasn't so hard to discover. And I think some of you may may find that. But we ask the will of God for our lives. Like when you're in high school, we got some teenagers in the room. You you ask, should I go to college or should I work? And if I go to college, what is God's will? Like there's so many good colleges. What is God's will for my life? Then when you go to college or get that job, then you're asking, all right, one day I want to get married. So who does God want me to marry? Then you either marry or you don't. And you ask, what is God's will for my career path, what job should I have? And you go along life and then you work and then you're like, should we have kids? If so, how many kids should we have? I still haven't discovered that yet. I'm trying to discern God's will. Um, And then, you know, when should I retire? Should I try to retire young, like in my 50s? Should I wait till I'm 65, 70? When is retirement? And the questions continue on. So what we're going to do is look at Acts 21. And we're going to see the Apostle Paul is at a crossroads. In chapter 20, for those of you who weren't with us, he felt compelled by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. So God was leading him to Jerusalem. But then in chapter 21, we're going to see disciples throw the red flag, saying, no, no, the Holy Spirit said, don't go. So it's like, oh, God's telling me to go, you're telling me not to go. What is God's will? Because God doesn't contradict himself. So Acts 21, let's read this. And as we read this, we're going to discover some wisdom principles for you to discover God's will for your life. It says, Now it came to pass 
that when we had departed from there and set sail running a straight course, we came to Kos. The following day to Rhodes and from there to Patera and finding a ship sailing over to Phoenicia, we went aboard and set sail. When we had sighted Cyprus, we passed on the left, sailed to Syria and landed at Tyre for there. The ship was to unload her cargo and finding disciples. We stayed there seven days and listen to this next phrase. They told Paul through the spirit not to go to Jerusalem. So before we go to verse 5, here's the tension in the text. Paul's like, I feel compelled to go. And they're like, hey, we're saying through the Holy Spirit, don't go. God doesn't contradict himself. So what is God's will for Paul? Read verse 5. When we had come to an end of those days, we departed and went on our way. And they all accompanied us with wives and children till we were out of the city. And we knelt down on the shore and prayed. And when we had taken our leave of one another, we boarded the ship and they returned home. And when we had finished our voyage from Tyre, we came to Ptolemaeus, greeted the brethren and stayed with them for one day. And on the next day, we who were Paul's companions departed and came to Caesarea and entered the house of Philip the evangelist, who was one of the seven and stayed with him. Now, this man had four virgin daughters who prophesied and we stayed many days And a certain prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. When he had come to us, he took Paul's belt, bound his own hands and feet and said, thus says the Holy Spirit. So shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. Now, when we had heard these things, both we and those from that place pleaded with him not to go to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered. What do you mean by weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. So when he would not be persuaded, we see saying the will of the Lord be done. May God bless his word. So we're going to ask the question today. What is God's will for my life? We're going to see what Paul did in his discovering God's will and make direct application to you some 2,000 years later, and I was in a little bit of alliteration mood, so sometimes pastors alliterate. I don't often do it. But today I want to give you four P's on how to process the will of God for your life. All right, someone say, what's P number one? All right, you guys are awake now after that good music. Number one, the will of God for my life is probed through trusted Christian community. So when you look at verses verses 1 through 4 and verse 7, We see that Paul arrives and he continually, everywhere he goes, he surrounds himself with Christian community. That whenever Paul lands in Tyre, he stays with the disciples for a whole week, for seven days. And if I need to make a statement about our culture today, we live in a post-Christian world, unfortunately. And we also live in a post-COVID world. And you put those two together, we have a lot of Christians who have said, I no longer need the church. I no longer need to be connected to a local body of Christ. But what you find with Paul is even though he was an apostle, even though he had seen Jesus himself, even though through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he wrote scripture, he still needed Christian community. And I would say when you're trying to look at the will of God, it's hard to discern the will of God from the people of God. A lot of times we try to say, what is God's will for my life in a vacuum 
And God often speaks through the Christian community. So we're going to talk about that. So Paul was told by the disciples not to go to Jerusalem through the Holy Spirit. And what's fascinating in the Greek text, it was a continual tense. Like for seven days at breakfast, Paul, don't go. At lunch, Paul, don't go. At dinner, Paul, don't go. And it's like for seven days, he was told not to go continually. And after seven days of that, it makes one very weak and tired. You're just like, God, what are you trying to say? So there's two possible interpretations of this. If you've, if you've been in church any length of time and came across this passage, one interpretation is that Paul thought he was called to go to Jerusalem, but then the Holy Spirit said not to go, so this was a prohibition not to go. In other words, Paul, if you go, it's sin. God's telling you not to go. I don't care what you thought. God's redirecting your path. The second interpretation is that it's a prediction, not a prohibition. So a prediction is a warning. And Skip Isaac does a great job in explaining this. He said that whenever God gave a prohibition, it was in order to prepare Paul. In other words, Paul, you know, you're following God's lead. But when you go to Jerusalem, here's what's going to happen. So it's a prohibition not to go. Nope, that's not it. It's a prophecy, a prediction to prepare Paul. So Paul was not prohibited from going, but he was warned. And that's what takes place in the Christian community. So when you read on. In Acts 20, if you flip back a chapter, I want to read you Acts 20, verse 22. Paul says, now compelled by the spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. So Paul says, listen, I feel compelled by the spirit to go. But the believers are saying, don't go. So which which is true? Which is right? I think what the prophetic believers are doing, just like any friend would do, you don't want your friend to die. So they were saying, Paul, they were right in understanding what would happen but they were applying it differently than what Paul felt led to. So here, here is the trump card. Acts twenty three eleven. if you'll write this down. Here's the words of Jesus to Paul about this. This is how we discern whether Paul was really listening to God or not. Acts 23, verse 11. But the following night, the Lord, talking about Jesus, he stood by Paul and said, Be of good cheer, Paul, for as you have testified of me in Jerusalem, so you must now bear witness for me at Rome. So here's the idea. Jesus is saying, listen, you've done a good job. You're going to continue. So Jesus was affirming that Paul heard the spirit correctly. So here's the thing. When it comes to the will of God in your life, the will of God is not on highway easy street. The will of God, you're not called to be like water. What does water take? The course of what? Least resistance. Some of us just want to go downstream, floating on our, our floats or our yachts or whatever flotation device we have. And we, we think the will of God should just be easy. But Jesus said the will of God is a narrow path. And it's not only narrow, it's often uphill and very difficult. That's why few people want to follow the will of God because it's not easy. But while it's not easy, it's the most blessed path there is. And the will of God for your life and my life is for us to live more like Jesus today than we did yesterday. So one example, parallel example, is Peter and Jesus. If you guys remember when Jesus announced repeatedly that he was going to die on the cross, what did Peter say to Jesus? Don't do it, right? God forbid, you can't, Jesus. Let's, let's build three tabernacles. Let's camp out. And he, he wanted to capture the moment. He didn't want Jesus to die. And once Jesus gave the prophecy that he was going to die, Peter being, he thought he's been a good friend, 
But he wanted to keep Jesus the way he was forever. And what did Jesus say to Peter? Get behind me, Satan. In other words, listen, you are applying the prophecy wrong. I'm predicting I'm dying, but you don't understand I'm dying for a reason. I'm dying for you, Peter. So here's the thing. Paul was predicting or he was being predicted too that he was going to die. Jesus had already told him that he was going to suffer many things when he first called him. So don't think that because you give someone gives you a warning, a prophecy prohibition, it doesn't mean that you, you're, you're to stop doing what God's called you to do. Sometimes it's a check. Sometimes you're like, all right, this is a warning. Let me give you a story to apply this. In in my 20s, Lori and I started a church. And I, I was in my 20s, I was 27 at the time when it officially launched. And I had the Christian community tell me, listen, we believe you're called. We acknowledge your call. But we think you got the timing wrong because you're getting married. So what the, the elders advised me is wait one year before you establish the church, you should establish your marriage. Did I listen to him? No, I didn't listen to him. I was hard headed. You're like, some things haven't changed. Yes, they have. I've grown since then. Come on now. But here's the thing. I got the calling right, but I got the timing wrong. So I want you to write this down in your notes. It's possible to get the calling of God right, but to miss out on the timing. How many of you remember the story of Moses? At 40, he felt called to what? Deliver, rescue the people. Did he get the timing wrong? Pretty much. So he had to wait how much longer? Another 40 years, right? So here's the thing. The Christian community helps you discern God's will. It's probed through Christian community. Number two, the will of God for my life is pursued through the prayers of the disciples. Look in verse five. It says, when we had come to the end of those days, we departed and went our way. And they all accompanied us with wives and children till we were out of the city and we knelt down on the shore and prayed. So I want you to get this picture. How many of you are planning to go to the beach this summer? All right. Can you can you smell the ocean air? Ooh. Can you taste for those of you who have sweet tooth? Can you taste the saltwater taffy? Oh, man. For those of you who like seafood, can you taste the fried fish, the catch of the day, fish and chips? All right. You're already hungry. I know it's Mother's Day. So I want you to get this. They were on the shores. So they knelt down. Paul and all of the people, they knelt down on the sandy shores. The ocean waves are going and they pray together. And what I want you to see that demonstrates this, the will of God, it's probed through, probed through Christian community. But listen, it's also pursued through prayer. Even though Paul was an apostle, even though he wrote scripture, he was divinely inspired by the Holy Spirit. He asked people to do what for him? To pray. In your listening guide, we don't have time to unpack it, but on at least eight occasions, Paul either asked for prayer or he thanks them for the prayers on his behalf. He asked like, hey, help the word of God to go out, help it not to be hindered, help it be receptive, help it to bear fruit. He asked all these prayers. So what I want to encourage you is as you're asking, what is God's will? Ask, am I connected to Christian community? And also ask, am I having people actively pray with and for me? Number three. The will of God for my life, the third P, it's purified through the prophetic word. Purified through the prophetic word. Now, I asked the first service, but for those of you who grew up in a Baptist church, how many of you have ever heard a sermon on prophecy? Raise your hand. I see one. <laughs> first service was zero. And some of our other friends, I'm not going to name any denomination, you hear about it all the time, every week. And you're like, what's the deal? Well, here's the thing. We've got to understand prophecy. First of all, let's, let's read what happened. He stays, 
in verse number seven and eight, he stays with Philip the evangelist. He was one of the seven and he had four daughters who did what? Who prophesied. And you're like, well, what was the role of the prophet? Well, first of all, before we look at the New Testament church, we've got to look back at the Old Testament. The main role of the Old Testament prophet was twofold. It was to foretell and to foretell. Foretell means to proclaim a message. Here's the word of God. It's basically, we would say, preaching, proclamation. And then the second role was to foretell, which was to predict future events of what was going to happen in the world. The majority of the prophet's job, does anybody want to guess, was how many of you think it was foretelling preaching? Raise your hand. How many of you think it was predictive in the nature? Raise your hand. The majority was actually preaching. Occasionally, the prophet would get a vision and predict the future. But the Old Testament prophet, it was generally, sometimes it was to individuals, but generally it was for nations and countries and kings and kingdoms. So it was more general. In the New Testament, we see prophecy changing a little bit. Where, you know, there are, Agabus predicted a famine. That was, that was to nations. But here you see him talking to Paul personally. And you see other passages where it's more geared personally. So in the New Testament, it shifts. Instead of a lot of prediction the future, I mean, we, we have the book of Revelation, that's predicting the future. But the role of the New Testament church, the gift of prophecy, is mostly preaching. Here's what God's word says. So, one pastor said it very well. He said, Prophecy in the New Testament church is actively taking the word of God and making it bear upon a certain situation for a person. Let me give you an example. Some of you in here, how many of you in here are single? Want to raise your hand? All right, look around. You may meet your future significant other. This is church. You can laugh. (laughs) I met my wife in church. So here's the thing. You're praying like, okay, God, who do you want me to marry? What is God's will? And here's the thing about it. Does the Bible give any information about dating? Like marriage, I would say courtship. Does it give any information about who, well, the type of person you should marry? Absolutely. Think about the Proverbs 31 woman. Think about Psalm 45. It talks a lot about the king and certain attributes. Think about the fruit of the spirit. Think about equally yoked. So you can take the word of God and say, okay, this person you're dating, they're a non-believer. Does this line up with scripture? And the answer would be no. So I can take the word of God and give you authoritative message that This is not God's person for you right now, at least. So that would be an example of prophecy in the New Testament church. So let it be declared before we move on that writing of scripture, which the prophets did, you know, think of Isaiah, think of Jeremiah. That's no longer available. There's no more scripture writing. The canon is closed. So prophecy in the New Testament church is generally taking the word of God and making it bear upon a certain situation. So here's the thing. If you feel like God's leading you to do something, but you can't really show me in the Bible, you can't say God's leading me to do something. I was talking to someone recently. They don't go to this church, so I can use that illustration. But they were talking about how two people had like a personality conflict and the lady prayed and God gave her peace to divorce her husband. And she felt like it was God. And I didn't. I was just listening. So I, I tried not to get in preacher mode. But I was listening. They didn't ask for my advice. But internally, I'm thinking. Okay, biblically, is a personality difference grounds for divorce? So did God really say anything? Now, if you've been on the other side, we all make mistakes. God gives grace and forgiveness. But my point is, going forward, we can't say God's leading me to do something. This is God's will, unless you can back it up chapter and verse. And what about the times you've fallen short? Listen, we all have. This is grace, but we, we have grace within truth. You, you, you ask God's forgiveness, and going forward, you're like, all right. 
if, if I discern God's will, it has to line up with God's word. All right. So the prophetic word is basically thinking through the scriptures and applying it in a way that is authoritative for your life. So let's look at First Thessalonians 5. This is in your listening guide. It says, do not quench the spirit. How many churches have you been into where if the Holy Spirit moves, people are scared? They're like, oh, my goodness, the Holy Spirit. So Paul's like, listen, don't put out the Spirit's fire. And then he goes on the next verse, do not despise what? Prophecies. He's talking to a local church. He's saying, listen, prophecies are not to be despised. In other words, they still exist. But then he gives the next verse, test all things. By which are you to test all things? By your experience? By your circumstances? By your personality? No, by what? The authority of God's word. So if anyone ever tells you this is God's will for your life, your follow up question is, well, can you show me that in the Bible? This is a horrible analogy, but in certain Christian schools, you probably didn't go to a Christian school like this, but in some very biblical evangelical conservative schools, some of the guys will go up to girls and like, you know what? I've been praying and God told me I'm called to marry you. And the girl's like, excuse me, I've never even met you. You have the Holy Spirit. Listen, God's not that could happen occasionally. Right. But he it's not weird like that. So don't don't ladies don't listen to that line. God told me because if God told him, he's going to tell you. OK, don't use that line. So moving forward to application of this, how do we apply this? You know, how is the word of God purified through the prophetic word? Well, I want you to write this down. This is really important. Seek the word of God for the will of God. So like if you're trying to discern God's will, the prophetic word for you is looking in the Bible. And really, it's the essence of God wants me to become more like who? More like Jesus. So is this decision making me more Christ-like or will this bring me away from God? So going back to the example of, for those of you who are single, dating an unbeliever. Is dating an unbeliever going to make you more like Jesus or less like Jesus? So is that God's will for your life? No. So there, there, there you go, how to apply it. So the other aspect, this is very simple, but sometimes we forget. God's will for your life only comes about through the process of fully surrendering your life to Jesus. Sometimes we're living an active lifestyle of sin and we're like, God, what is your will? And God's like, I want you to get right with me first before I reveal what's next, right? So here's, let's throw Romans 12, 1 and 2 on the screen. And I want to read this out of the New Living to add a little flavor to kind of give you guys the, the, the emphasis behind this passage. It says, so dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he's done for you. Let your, them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind that he will find acceptable. This is the truly the only way to worship him. Look at verse 2. Don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you do what? The way you think. Now listen to this. Then, someone say then. So what is God's will for my life? Let's back up the bus. I surrender my life as a living sacrifice. I'm fully surrendered to God. I'm not allowing the world to tell me how to think. Instead, I'm renewing my mind daily with the word. Then you will learn to know what? God's will, which is good, pleasing, and perfect. So here's the thing. The will of God is not some mysterious thing that you can never find. The will of God starts with, I surrender all. And then because I surrender all, I'm going to learn to think like Jesus thinks. I'm going to learn to renew my mind daily in the word. And as you do that... God will begin to reveal his will for each situation in your life. 
And finally, number four, I know your stomachs are getting hungry. How many of you got Mother's Day lunches planned? I'll do my best unless the Holy Spirit takes over in a way that we're going to try to get out by 12, okay? I still got 29 minutes, so we're good on time. The will of God for my life is personified through the surrendered life. Just what we were saying. Look at verse 12 now in the scripture. This is really cool. I want you guys to zoom in on verse 12 now. Now, when he had heard these things, what what things? Paul, don't go to Jerusalem. Paul, don't go. Paul, you're going to be bound. When Paul had heard these things, both we and those from that place pleaded with him not to go to Jerusalem. Agabus had just given his prophecy. The people were like, Paul, listen, you hear what Agabus said. He predicted the famine. It came to pass. Listen, he's saying, you're going to get arrested. Don't go. You could have started a chant. Oh, no, Paul, don't go. Oh, no, Paul, don't go. I don't know what they said, but. Then Paul answered, look at his, look at his beautiful response. What do you mean by weeping and breaking my heart? For I'm ready not only to be bound, but also to do what? To die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. So when he would not be persuaded, we see saying the will of the Lord be done. So on your listening guide, I want you to look down at Paul's response. How did Paul respond when he was under this tension God's calling me, but people are warning me not to go. Remember, we said it wasn't a prohibition, but it was a predictive prophecy to prepare Paul. It wasn't God saying, don't go. It was God saying, listen, there's circumstances going to happen. You're going to get arrested. But notice his response. It was relational. These are people that Paul loved. And what I want you to get is that as the Christian community speaks to you, it's always in the context of relationships. I've always find, found it very strange if people try to speak into your life that you've never given them permission. How many of you like that? Let me tell you something. And you're like, who are you? <laughs> you know, generally, it's in the context of relationships. But it's also, look at Paul's response. It was emotional. Paul didn't see everything just as black and white. He listened to God. He listened to the Spirit. He listened to the Christian community. And even though he had a director from God, he still was open to feedback from others. It's very dangerous And I go back to my 20s. When I heard a word from God, there ain't nobody that could speak into me. Like, Timothy, you may want to wait a year. Uh, I've heard from God. And it's like, that's a sign of, what would that be called? Pride. So don't use the Jesus label, the God told me label, to cover up your pride. Because wise people will listen to counsel. So even if God told you something, it doesn't mean others can't challenge that and test that. And all God's people said, amen. But it was unshaken is the third blank. So it was relational, emotional, unshaken. So Paul was ready to do God's will no matter the consequences. That's the example of a surrendered life. A lady once asked John Wesley. She said, John, if you knew that tomorrow at midnight you were to die, would you change your schedule? Would you change your course? And I'll read to you what John Wesley wrote. He said, my why, madame, just as I tend to spend it now, I would not change a thing. This evening, I would preach at Gloucester, and tomorrow at five in the morning, I would go to Tewksbury. I would preach in the afternoon and meet the societies in the evening. Then I would go to Martin's house, talk to him and pray with the family as usual, and retire myself to bed at night at 10 o'clock, commend myself to the Heavenly Father, lie down to rest and awake in glory. What was John Wesley saying? He said, listen, I'm already following God's will. So if you're following God's will, you don't need to change if you know you're going to die tomorrow. Because guess what? God's will is for you to live like Jesus more today than you did yesterday. So what is God's will for my life? 
is for you to be more like Jesus. So in the beginning, I asked the question, you know, how many of you have ever asked God's will? Like, who should I marry? Well, let me let me give you a little personal story. And I want to review this message using his story. Um, whenever I was in my young dating career, uh, if you could call it dating career, in my 20s, young single dating, with each young lady, I would say, is this the one? How many of you remember asking, is this the one? God, you want me to marry this one? And with everyone, I just didn't. I had more question marks than answer. That is until I met Lori Jo Viennes on the front row here. After about three weeks of dating, both she and I, like we knew, and I know that's not everyone, sorry, but we knew that we were meant to get married. And you're like, well, how did you know? So let's, let's review this message. Four points. The will of God for my life is probed through trusted Christian community. We are in the context of a local church. We had people that spoke into our lives. And just about everybody, I, I don't remember a single person that said don't marry her. Everyone is just like, man, when are you going to ask her? When you, you know? And here's the thing. This is really interesting. Lori uh, has, a, has, a, has a dad, and she had a stepdad at the time. He's now with the Lord in heaven. And you know how you have to ask permission to marry? This is after you know five, six months or whatever date. I don't remember the exact timing. But both of them said, hey, what's your intentions? They approached me. I didn't have to approach them. I said, well, now that you brought it up, can I, can I marry your daughter? And both of them said, yes, yes. So I got permission from stepdad and, and real dad. All right, number two, the will of God for your life is pursued through the prayers of the disciples. So here's something I want to say. We prayed together. We prayed God's will. But before meeting Lori, I prayed. I started praying about 15 years old. We married at 27. So I had been praying for 12 years before I met her. So it was like, man, I've already been praying for this for over a decade. Like I knew from the prayer. So I would encourage you, if you're single or single again, looking to get married, married again, don't wait until you meet someone to start praying. Start praying now so that when you meet the person, it's like this is the one. All right, number three. The will of God for my life was purified through the prophetic word. So applying that for the New Testament church, I didn't need some prophet to say, Thus saith the Lord, you will marry this girl. I didn't turn to like Hezekiah 3.17, Thou shalt marry Lori Viennes to take her to be thy wife. Hezekiah 3.17 doesn't exist, by the way. I didn't have God text my cell phone. But what I did have is the scriptures. And as I read the scriptures, Proverbs 31, a virtuous woman, ding, ding. Uh, a woman with a gentle and quiet spirit, ding, ding, ding. All the scriptures, and when I applied them, I'm like, this is it. And finally, number four, the will of God for my life is personified through a surrendered life. At the age of 15, I had surrendered my life to God. And when I met Lori, she had recently surrendered. Here's the cool story, some of you don't know. I met Lori the day after she got saved. Isn't that cool? And she had completely surrendered. So like, when we discern what is God's will, should we get married, these four points came into, into focus. And if you forget all those P's that can make your mind pretty tired, here's one big idea. Let's throw it up on the screen. What is God's will for my life? Who should I marry? Where should I work? How should I spend my time? How should I spend my money? It's in this. Let's say it together. God's will for my life is to live like Jesus today there you go. To live like Jesus more today than you did yesterday. So with every decision, is this helping me to live like Jesus or is this taking me away? Is this producing peace or is this producing conflict? And like I said, the will of God is not easy, but it's the, the best thing you could ever do. So one analogy and we close. How many of you have ever put together a jigsaw puzzle? Raise your hand. How many of you hate jigsaw puzzles? <laughs> more of them. 
See, I'm the, I'm like the big picture guy. I like to see the picture, not the little pieces. So anyways, God's will for your life is kind of like a jigsaw puzzle. He gives you a piece. If you're faithful with that piece and you put it into place where it should be, guess what he does? He gives you the next piece. And then the next piece and the next piece. So here's why some of you are so confused about the will of God. And this is not to everybody. This is to some of you. Some of you have not been faithful with the revealed will of God in the past. And that's why you're not getting the next piece for the present. If you have not been faithful with God, what God's already told you to do in the past, don't expect God to give you what it, to do next. You have to do what he told you to do last before he gives you the next. I'll say that again. You have to do what he told you to do what? Last before you do the next. So if you'll be faithful where you're at with what God's told you to do, guess what? In time, he'll give you that second piece of the puzzle. Let us pray. Father, thank you on this Mother's Day. We, we talked about a very interesting passage. Paul is wrestling He's called to go to Jerusalem, but people are giving him some warnings that if you go, this will happen. And God, we thank you that within the context of Christian community and prayer and the prophetic word and through the surrendered life that Paul knew beyond a shadow of a doubt what God's will was for his life. And right now, with no one looking around, still praying at your seat. How many of you would say, Timothy, I've got a difficult decision to make. I'm at a crossroads. And I'm trying to discover God's will. If that's you, just raise your hand. I want to pray for you. See those hands. See those hands. Right where you're at to say, God, I surrender my life first of all. And then second, I surrender my situation. Just go ahead and tell him. I surrender it to you. And for those of us who have not been faithful with that piece of the puzzle God's given us, maybe God's told us to do something in the past and we've not yet done it. Tell him right now, God, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Forgive me for disobedience. Today, I commit resurrender to follow you as you continue to do business with God at your seat. I want to talk to someone that you've never given your life to Jesus. The Bible says that God calls us all to be born again. He calls us all to follow Jesus as Lord and Savior and God's will for your life. You came on the perfect day, by the way. God's will for your life is to surrender your life to Jesus, to say, Jesus, I want you to be my Lord and my Savior. And if you've never done that, it's as simple as calling upon the name of the Lord. So right where you're sitting, the Bible says if you'll confess that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him to the dead, you will be saved. Right where you're sitting, I want you to say this prayer of faith. Say, Dear Jesus, I do believe that you died on the cross and rose the third day. And Jesus, I want to surrender my life to you. And Jesus, I acknowledge my sin. I acknowledge my shortcomings. And I thank you that you've taken them out of the way on the cross. Please forgive me. Jesus, give me new life today. Come into my life and change me from the inside out. And I choose to follow you from this day forward and forevermore. And all God's children said, Amen.